right, everybody, welcome to another edition of the NFL Road Show and the first ever meeting of the Just Incredible Fan Club or Rainbow Herbert Fan Club. <laughs> when I decided I was going to start a fan club for Justin Herbert after week one, um, I asked people on Instagram what I should call that fan club and needless to say the suggestions that I got still leave something to be desired. We're going we're gonna to keep workshopping it. Um, though, since week one, I think I've decided to expand the club to include Brandon Staley and maybe just to be a Chargers fan club in general because um, they're so fun to watch. Um, by the way, I think that this is testing the strength of my relationship with my brother and <laughs> probably his listenership of this podcast. As I've noted several times in the past, he's a hardcore Raiders fan, so my newfound love and appreciation for the Chargers has been a little bit tough for him to swallow. Uh, though I do have to say, having been in this business for so long, it is very different, my fandom, than the kind that most of you enjoy. I think for me, it's more like finding a TV show that you love and becoming obsessed with it for a while. It doesn't mean that you spurn all other TV shows. Like, the Chargers are my Ted Lasso right now. And just because I love Ted Lasso, which, by the way, freaking love Ted Lasso, it doesn't mean that I hate Succession all of a sudden. I love Succession. Don't love that it comes out only once a week and I have to wait for every single episode like it's 1997 over here, but I do love it because I love good TV like I love good football. And this season, though not last week, the Chargers have been playing very good football, aggressive football, smart football, exciting football, and it feels kind of new for them after so many years of not being able to make the play at the end of the game and not coming up clutch when they needed to. They've had such bad luck, and it feels like they may have turned a corner in that department, and I'm drawn to that, and I want to know more about it, about how they're doing what they're doing, about how Brandon Staley approaches the game and goes about making decisions, about what Justin Herbert can and cannot do at this stage of his career. I'm so intrigued. So I've called on my friend Daniel Jeremiah, who calls their games for their radio broadcasts, to attend this fan meeting as a guest speaker, we'll call him, because he has some impartiality that he needs to retain to answer all of my questions about this team. And then because he obviously covers the rest of the league for NFL media, there are a few other teams I'm interested in right now that I want to talk to him about also like the Panthers and Sam Darnold and his start to the season versus what we've seen lately, what's been different. And then while I have him here, I am also going to make sure to get his way too early thoughts on the 2022 draft because I know like me, you guys are dying to get a jump start on that. He is a treasure trove of NFL knowledge and also a very fun person to talk to. So let's kick this off. It's time now to break the huddle. Hello, let's go! Two on two on two. Ready? Hey. Order, order, calling to order the first ever fan club meeting of the yet untitled fan club that Lindsay is starting <laughs> about the Chargers. Daniel Jeremiah, welcome! I know the meeting is uh, is we have a gavel like to like put meeting in session here. Yeah. Hold on. Okay, go. we'll go with that. We'll go with that. It's a highlighter, not a gavel, but it's okay. We'll <laughs> That's all it. I have. Yeah. I don't have a gavel. <laughs> I'm not official. I don't even have a name for this um, fan club. Do you have any suggestions? What would a, an appropriate um, Chargers fan club that isn't already obvious and taken? <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, I'm trying to think now. Okay, so HBD 
is like happy birthday, which is a positive thing, but can also be Herbert Bosa Derwin. So we could call it like the HBD club. <laughs> we could go with that. And it's just so much positivity emanating. I from feel that, like from Staley that. needs to be involved somehow, though, because yeah. really my fandom stems from a love for Herbert and Staley. Yeah. Okay. We can do that. So if we got, we'll, we'll photo, we'll work that. We'll workshop. Okay. That we're going to workshop later. it. Yeah. Cause all I've really got, uh, the, the suggestions that I've got from fans so far are, let's see, we've got a uh, rainbow Herbert. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. Nice. And just incredible. Okay. That, that's good. Yeah. But that was when it was a primarily Justin Herbert driven fan club. Yeah. And Staley's entered the chat. Yes, he has. Uh, you know, it's funny. Right? I was I was just, uh, and obviously we'll get to the game. It didn't go well against Baltimore. But in talking to a lot of people from the Baltimore side of things, I got so many questions about Staley because they were all kind of intrigued by him, impressed by him. Like it's them in particular, I would yeah. imagine. They feel like very similar um, mindsets, right? In terms yeah. of those two coaching staffs and their approach to things. Very uh, forward thinking, um, very uh how it's tough to describe it. I would say very confident, but there's a humility in there that they don't know everything. Like I always think of definition of humility being curious, right? Like you're just a curious person. Can it be done better than what we're doing? Not totally married to something. Um, We played a certain way in Baltimore when when I was working there and it was a defensive heavy team. And it was that way for, you know, 20 years and had tons of success. And then Lamar Jackson comes along. It's like, okay, we're going to change kind of our style a little bit and what we're doing. And, and they've kind of put more resources on the offensive side of the ball and going forward on fourth downs and not being conservative. It's just, it's fascinating to me how um, you you adapt or die. Right. And I think that Ravens have done a very good job of that. It's funny because you say forward thinking and the first thing that comes to my mind, and I'm, not sure that I I think this is probably part of it is like the incorporation of analytics is a big part Mm -hmm. of that because a lot of teams feel like they're just like, no, I'm going to stick with what we're doing, you know, which is there's evidence that suggests that there might be a better way, like you said. And in some ways people are open to receiving that information and then kind of going, okay, let's go, let's try that. Mm -hmm. And some people, fans, coaches, the whole community are a little bit less open to hearing that. I have weekly conversations that are analytics driven now with my no. husband. And I feel like I'm on the side of math, which is not a side <laughs> that I ever thought that I would be on. No, I won't also, show you my report card. <laughs> I'm also not the right person to be having these conversations because no. all the math overwhelms me very much. But I'm no. also intrigued by it because it feels like it's fresh information kind of looking at the game in a way that I haven't looked at it before. Mm-hmm. And it does feel like there's a lot of evidence. Like the fourth down conversation, I think, is very interesting this year. And I think um, on PFF, they were saying that that third and one and fourth and one in the last four years, the league has converted those situations at a 68% clip in the last four years. That's incredible. That's overwhelming evidence, in my opinion, that supports somebody like Brandon Staley going forward in those situations, even like he did last week when it didn't go his way last week, but it did the week before. And that's arguably why they won the game. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And when you talk to him about it, he will tell you like, he doesn't even he doesn't really, in terms of looking at the history, even with his own team and with their own success rate, obviously they've had, I think they were seven for seven. The only one they hadn't converted was on the fake punt where Hunter Renfro made like an all-time crazy good play. Um, so coming this last thing, now it doesn't work this week against Baltimore, but if you ask him about it, he'll give you the same answer this week that he would give you last week, which is that 
he looks at each situation individually. Do I like the matchup? Do I like the play call? Um, and then if he feels like that's in their favor and the, and the matchup favors us, um, I think even maybe even more so than the history of success rate on fourth down league wide, I think that would be even secondary to him. It's just saying, you know what, in this situation, we like this receiver versus this corner. We're going to, we're going to come out in this formation, which by analytics is going to, we tells us we're going to get this look defensively, which we know will then give us this matchup. So there's like certainties that you can, you can play into it and say, okay, now, now we can look at our own math and say, okay, you know, if we can get Keenan Allen on this corner with this play call in this coverage, they kind of take all that information, gather it all together and say, now for us, we might feel like this is an 85% chance versus maybe you'll say a league average would be a 68% chance in that situation. So um, they, they dig deep into all that stuff. And at the end of the day too, I think he's, he's done a really good job of kind of marrying the moment with the numbers. And I think like the Browns was, was a great example of that. The chargers could not stop them. They could not get them off the field. The defense had been on the field the whole time. They needed to not only go down the field and score points, they needed to give the defense a rest. So while it was a risk, you know, and his whole thing was, look, the downside is we don't get it. We, we got to force a field goal. It costs us three points, but we have the opportunity to go get seven, which ended up, I think being eight. Cause I think they even went for two. Uh, when they went down and scored on that drive, going forward on another fourth and seven. Yep. So even the Ravens game, they don't get those two on their side of the field and the defense stiffened up and held them to field goals. So they were three points each time. And that was the risk he was fine with taking. The analytics part of it and all of these types of conversations and odds and probabilities. Do you feel like that's something that has uh, been on your radar more in the last couple of years? Because we're seeing also national broadcasts yeah. and then, you know, on Twitter analytics Twitter uh, in particular Troy Aikman sometimes says like I don't understand the math there or whatever yeah, they're like yeah. I know you don't you know <laughs> and it feels like some of the network broadcasts haven't really quite caught up to being yeah. able to have those conversations which I can relate to again not a mathematician like don't mm -hmm. feel particularly strong in this particular area do you feel like you have become stronger in this area in terms of understanding all of that type of conversation in the last few years? Yeah. And I've, I'm fascinated by it. like literally right in front of me right now is like my Thursday night, like next gen stats packet where I have all, all these numbers and I go through and highlight it and stuff that I do on Thursday nights. And like, here's, here's a great example to me, you watch the tape and you can get theories. Um, and then you get the numbers and mm sometimes it backs up that theory and you're like, boom, I knew, I knew that they were blitz. I, the Broncos, I know they're blitzing more this year. It feels like they're blitzing more and it feels like they're having success when they do blitz. And then you can pull up the numbers and find the number of pressures they have when they blitz the success rate, the number of explosive plays that they've given up. And it kind of can match your analysis. And there's other times where you're like, man, I feel like this team's, man, it looks like they play with a lot of light boxes. Like they're not, they're not loading up, trying to stop the run. They're a little bit light down there. And then you look at the numbers like, no, they're, they're average. They're like league average for the number of guys they have there. So to me, it's like kind of using your eyes and then you get the numbers that can either confirm it or can question it. Um, which I find so much, so much value. in. like, I, the number that I've been obsessed with, which I don't hear really talked about on broadcast so much, but maybe more so in scouting circles. Yeah. I'm obsessed with get off, like the get off number. So the way they, the way they calculate that is for an edge rusher or for any defensive lineman is from the moment where the ball is snapped. So the moment the ball moves and both of your shoulders cross the line of scrimmage. So how fast? So in other words, we'll okay. say in scouting, this guy's explosive. He's sudden, he's got a great get off. Like, yeah. okay, well I could say that about 20 different guys. 
Now we have the actual information. And when I went metric, there's, yeah, it's like, he's point, you know, 0.75, 0.85, and you can do it for individual games. You can do it for the season. And how are they getting that number? So I'm sure it's all from the, you know, from the, the chips and the shoulder pads and all that kind of stuff where they have, where they can get all that data. Um, And then with the video, they can draw the line where it, you know, where the line of scrimmage is. And it's just, but we still don't know if the ball crosses the plane, but that's okay. That's That's a totally totally, different conversation. Totally different numbers. Totally different. But like, here's, here's why this is what I like about, this is what I'm so fascinated about with analytics. I can then I say, okay, this seems significant to me that these guys are, you know, you know, with these impressive get off numbers. And then I go, you know, let me go back like the last three years. I'm going to look at the leaders in the, you know, the most explosive, quickest get off. And let's see if they're the good players. It's all the best pass rushers in the NFL. Like they're all like the top. If you had the top five, TJ Watt was up there uh, from the last couple of years. Bud Dupree, who launched himself into a huge contract, was up there. Bosa is always up there. Um, there Miles Garrett's always up there. So I'm like, these are the premier guys. So then like this year, I'm watching the Buffalo Bills and uh, AJ Epinesa early in the season. I'm like, gosh, he looks like he's getting off the ball pretty good. Well, I go look up the numbers and he's, he's in there with all these guys, these names that you recognize. You're like, wait a second, maybe I need to pay attention to AJ Epinesa. Maybe he can be a player that's kind of on the come a little bit or is improving. Um, so those numbers to me, like are just fascinating instead of just saying, man, they get off the ball. Like, no, he has a third best get off of any defensive end in the NFL. Like that's wow. fact. So that's, that's the fun stuff. So when you go scouting, for the draft. Is that something that they track at the combine or will track at the combine? So they, they, you know, to me, you could track it at the combine. It's just like they're, you know, you're talking about their 10, right? That's what usually shows you how explosive the 10 yard split instead of for defensive linemen, the 40, who cares? You just care about that suddenness right. in the 10 and you'll look at their jumps, but it's Do different than correlate? being pads on. Yeah, usually they do. Usually that's, that's a, you know, that's a sign of somebody that has that, but you put pads on and a helmet on, you'd be surprised how different some of that can be. So the, the challenge is getting all this tracking data on in, in the college game, which a lot of it exists. A lot of it exists. Um, Not every team has access to all of it. So I think there's services that provided and I know it costs money and, but I know in talking to some teams um, they had more information than others. And that is a huge benefit when you can talk about, um, Here's another example. So they say a defensive lineman, like an interior defensive lineman. You know what? He he he's he's got he plays with great hustle. He's always around the ball in the run game. Well, they can take the information and they can at the end of every play. So as soon as a play ends, they can calculate the distance between the defensive lineman and where the ball is. So you can then say his proximity to the ball at the end of a play over a two-year stretch of season, he's in the 88th percentile of defensive lineman for how close he is to the ball. So that tells me, A, he can probably run, and B, he plays with really, really good effort. So it just kind of, it's the generic terms that we would throw out there after seeing snippets of, of film. Now you can take the data over a, over a you know, career and put a finite number on it. Like that's just, that's a huge advantage. Let me ask you this. The, are there colleges that are operating? Maybe this is a stupid question. Everybody knows this, that have the chips in the shoulder. Pads? Yeah. Most of them, majority most of, them, of do. them. do. Yeah. yeah. So okay. they were those, I think it's catapult. I think is the company that they, that they use, but yeah, they're yeah. And then like the senior bowl, they started doing it where they were, that would get out. They would release that to the public during that week of practice. And you can track all that data as well. I remember like, that's a great example of uh, Terry McLaurin, like his GPS numbers were off the charts at the senior bowl. And it was 
you know, it was every single rep. It wasn't like he was, you know, just ran really fast one time. It's like, this guy has an unbelievable tank. Like he just is going full speed fast all the time was faster than everybody else out there. I love that you've put this new thing on my radar so that I can now become obsessed with something different. <laughs> um, because these little like areas of obsession, I love feeling the thing I like about analytics is that it feels like it's more information and it feels like it's making me a smarter football fan. Yeah, And as somebody who's coming at it from where I'm coming at it from, like I didn't play the game. So mm. I'm always looking for information that I can take on. And, you know, you said it about Staley in terms of like, the humility of understanding that you don't know everything. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's the benefit uh, for me of having not played the game. Like mm -hmm. I come at it, like, obviously I don't know everything. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm looking for all of the information, as much information as I can take in. I know I don't know, you know, oh, all of this I, just that's, that's where we should all be. That's way we, nobody ever knows everything. And I, I, I feel like this has been like a whole new world that's opened up to me just over the last couple of years. This is the first year where I've had full access to all of the next gen database. So like some of the stuff that you'll what? see on, and it, oh, it's, it's outstanding. Um, so it's to, hard to like crack that code. You, they, yeah. you're Daniel Jeremiah but next I, gen, give us a free code. Yeah. But part of it was, I didn't know to the extent to which they had all this information. Um, so I thought kind of what you get and you can get it on NFL.com or where you kind of get like the. That's like the cliff notes that isn't, doesn't even touch what you can get accomplished and how you can sort and, and, and come up with stuff. Now, the challenge is trying to find there's so much it's overload. So you, I'm trying yes. to find the way You're I'm right. approaching it. This is like a journey that I've been on over the last year is trying to, OK, now that we have a couple years of data is to go back and find like that was saying with that get a find numbers that are relevant in terms of, okay, this is the neighborhood. Like this is a neighborhood of players you want to be living in in this mm -hmm. stat. They're all here. So who are some of the people we didn't know necessarily that lived in that neighborhood and, and yeah. kind of learn like, okay, this guy's better than what he's given credit for. Um, so it's finding those significant numbers and, and what you like and what you don't like. And then even, you know, to be able to watch the video now um, compared to when I started, like I'm, this is, I wasn't like in the reels. Like I didn't have like splice <laughs> video, but I did start in scouting Projected it, on your wall. Yes, exactly. I did start when we were using beta. So it oh, was beta tapes. Beta. And so we would, if you're a scout, <laughs> you would get a FedEx box weighed a zillion tons. You would oh. get one of those boxes every, uh, maybe, maybe like once a month and it would have each. So each half of each side of the ball. So it could be say USC played Cal. Okay. USC offense versus Cal first half one beta tape USC offense versus Cal second half one beta tape. So to get offense, defense, special teams, that's three different beta tapes, uh, sorry, six different beta tapes. You'd have oh to, my. you'd have to plug it, you know, pump into this thing and you can't sort anything. Now to give you an example, I can through on my computer, not hooked up to anything. I can type in there. Um, let's, you know, random corner from USC and say, I want to watch. I like that you're all, using all USC analogies. Yeah. I'm trying to help you here. Thank it's you. A, not a great year. Um, so no, let's move on. Yeah. We'll move on. So I can pump, I can say, okay, I think this guy, he plays outside, but he's five, nine. I think he's going to be a nickel at the next level. So let me pull up their top four teams that they played. I can watch every single rep he took in the slot. So I can watch, he say he's been in the slot for 32 plays. I can watch all 32 of those plays just like that. 
Then I might get it. You know what? I, I like him, but I don't know. He's not, I don't know how physically is. Let me just watch all of his reps for the entire year in press coverage. Boom. Click a button. Done. What, what I, service is this? It's insane. I can't tell you that, Lindsay. Come on. Is it a special scouting service? Uh, is this a no, service no, that- no. So this is, this is actually, so every, the league has like, we have vision, right? So you can get NFL vision. You can do a lot of those things, which is well, a service. You can get NFL vision, but okay. Yeah. And then, and then PFF has a thing that they do for the league. So not only are they charting everything, um, but they're also, you can also tag it with video. So I can, I can look up when I'm getting ready to do a charger game. I can say, okay, give me all the red zone um, completions for the team that they're playing against. And it's just like what the coaches have. So I can just watch those boom, boom, boom. So then you're calling the game and you're like, okay, you recognize a formation and you say, okay, look, when they go like the bucks, the bucks, when they get in the red zone, they like to go three by one formation. They always put Mike Evans singled up as X all by himself. And that guarantees them one-on-one coverage. Mike Evans has nine touchdowns inside the 12 yard line when singled up, isolated in a three by one formation. And six of them, I think nine are singled up, six of them inside the 12 yard line. So when they come out inside the inside the 12 yard line and they're in a three by one, you're like, well, Mike Evans is gonna, it's that's where the ball's going. How can patterns like that exist still when you have teams and defenses, uh opponents? that are now tracking all of that stuff and pick up on yeah. any patterns. I would imagine it just makes, it makes coaching easier in some ways because you have so much information, but also a lot harder too, because it becomes a lot more of a chess match. Yeah. Well, the challenge then, you know, is they're, they're going to have answers off that. So if you, if you really want to try and move a safety over the top of a, of a singled up wide receiver, and they've got three other guys on the, on the other side of the formation, um, they're going to be able to out leverage you and they're going to give you trouble on the other side. Like there's certain, certain areas of the field in certain formations, you can pretty well dictate what, what look you're going to get. Um, are you telling but, me it's, it's good to have just lots of weapons? Yeah, exactly. When you're like, okay, you want to put a bunch of guys on Mike Evans. Let's see. We have Antonio Brown and Chris mm. Godwin over here. Oh okay. yeah. When Gronk gets back healthy as well. So <laughs> that's a, that's a, it's a good problem to have, but it's made for me. It's, it's the scouting thing. Like we used to, when college players are coming out, watch like the rule was usually like four games. You want to watch at minimum three, sometimes four and quarterbacks, you'd watch more, but you'd watch four games on a player and you try and get good opponents or good matchups. And you watch those four, then you go into the draft meetings and then, you know, mind you, they've played, they might've played 13 games. I've only seen four. Well now for a receiver, instead of watching four games, I can watch every target that he's had for the entire season. And I can get that accomplished faster than I could comb through four games, trying to find out where is he lined up? He's not getting the ball. It's so much more efficient. So I went from I went from beta, then we went from this was a big this was a big deal. Then we went to DVDs. So we would get the case logic sent to us with all the DVDs, and you could actually have the whole thing on one DVD. That was <laughs> case very, logic. That was very exciting. You remember those huge like the huge ones? You like have it on your passenger seat in the car. Let me see what CD yeah. I want to listen to next. Yeah, and to hope you pull it out without scratching it out of the thing. So blow I, on the back. Yes. So that was big. So then it went to. Then it was like, oh my gosh, you guys are not going to believe this. We have these drives. They're the size of watermelons, but we're <laughs> going to send you a drive that you can plug into your computer and, uh, and you can watch it. Now, when they, you only have the games they send you, then they got to send you another drive when new games come in. So you'd wait for those to come in. And then to the point now where it's all on your computer, it's all on the cloud. You can take it, you can download the games for you and get I, Gone on a plane coming back from from Baltimore. I had downloaded some games, so I just watch them on the flight. It's just 
it's such a, I tell, I tell these young kids how easy they have it, Lindsay. They don't know. <laughs> so tough back in the day. Yeah. I remember a beta story. Um, actually, it might not have even been beta. It might've been like when my first full-time job in my first small market in Tri-Cities, Washington, um, it was, I think we were even maybe working off of three quarter, like maybe we Ooh. haven't advanced to, to nice. beta yet, even nice. though we were clearly in the beta age, like it was yeah. just, um, you know, expensive. So, uh, I would carry around at high school football games. I had a camera that was attached to a deck that was separate that had the tape in it. Like, this is how old we are, DJ. Um, I'm right here in this party, carrying this around and like lifting up the deck with one hand while I have the camera in the other hand running up and down the sideline and heaven forbid the play comes your way. Oh, I was like, gosh. you're not moving fast with no. all of that. No. So. Do, do you remember, do you remember the case logics when you had like the smaller ones for your car? Yeah. And then you would stick them under your seat when you went somewhere. Like nobody, if they see the, if they see the case they logic, break into my they, car. they're going to break into this, yeah. this Ford Ranger and really come after my, my CDs here. <laughs> and then, and then they had the ones that attached to the top of your, uh, what do you call that the thing that flipped the visor or whatever. So you could put oh, like yes! a sleeve on there. So you could put like yes, six, on the six, underside. six CDs and then flip it up. Yeah. Yeah. Got to hide that. And then put whatever that lock was that you could put on the, um, the steering oh, wheel. Yeah. 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 yeah the, club, the club. The big red thing. <laughs> the club. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Lock the club. And then you, if you, Hey, if you're worried about that radio, you get your det- detachable face. You can take that thing <laughs> oh off God. and take it with you. <laughs> Remember? My son is my, my second oldest has turned 18 this week. So my wife and I were feeling really old. So we were going over the stuff that like made us sound old. And I'm like, I remember when my dad got a car phone that was big. And it, and it was literally big (laughs) with the wire connected to it. And then he would spill coffee on it. So you couldn't like pull it, pull it up. Yeah, it was, it was bad. Took up like the whole middle console in the front seat. I think our age has led you to tears right there. Lindsay. by the way, I know. My, my, my mascara is running. This is not a, (laughs) okay. So, uh, getting back to my statistical obsession, um, with the fourth downs. Um, so when we were talking about that, I brought, you brought up the Broncos, um, they're going for it on fourth down quite a bit and have Mm -hmm. one of the best conversion rates in the entire league. They're nine for 12 on fourth down attempts with this. So it's just, I can do that math. That's 75%. Yeah. Well, very nice. And yet nobody talks about them going for it and being like a, you know, we talk about the Ravens and we talk about the chargers. Why is it that teams like the Broncos are not in that conversation? The, the lions are up there too. Mm-hmm. Um, the Browns are as well. The Browns do, and they don't convert that much. The yeah. lions don't convert that much. My guess is that that's why we're not talking about that, but the Broncos. I think to me, and I'd have to go and I'll dig into it this week to get ready for Thursday, but I'd be curious uh, when and where Mm -hmm. um, for Denver on fourth down. I think the reason why Brandon Staley and the Chargers garnered so much attention, you're playing Cleveland. It's a big game. It's early in the third quarter. You're at your 24-yard line. Nobody does that. Nobody. So that was an attention grabber. Um, And then you go on later down the field, and it's fourth and seven. And you're in field goal range and you go for that and, and convert it. So to me, I think those are different than maybe cross. You're at the 50, you just cross the 50, it's fourth and one. And, you know, you're going to run the ball with Melvin Gordon, or whoever, and convert it. Now I have to go look up and see where there's were, but I'd be, I'd be highly skeptical if anybody else early in the third quarter inside their own 25 yard line has gone for it this year. What does Brandon do 
Staley. Mm-hmm. But we're on a first name basis. Yeah, now. you guys are like that. Now. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, what? I'm sorry. What the hell, Lindsay? <laughs> um, what does he still like? Where do you see room for growth as a head coach? Because like every time he opens his mouth, I'm like, yes, I yeah. love this. I, yeah. I, I find myself very drawn to him for many of the reasons that you touched on at the beginning of the show. But, you know, he's still in his first year as a head coach. Where do mm-hmm. you see room for growth for him? Well, I mean, that's a tough question. I think it's probably just going to, you know, generally just going to come with more experience. I, You know, when you think of growth, to me, the thing that's great about him, and he gets, you know, a lot of credit for his um, for his intelligence, uh, for his leadership, uh, all, all those things. To me, the the thing that's the the strand that kind of connects all those things is just authentic. It's like who he is. So um, to me, he needs to keep doing that, just keep being authentic. And then as he continues to gain experience in every type of situation, good and bad, I think, you know, because he's so curious and because he's so authentic, he's just going to learn from all that stuff. But I mean, I can't look at something and go, you know what? He has really got to get better um, in this particular area. I mean, I think he's, I think he's been, he's been pretty darn good. And and the key to me is just be who you are, just be yourself. I think you can find, you know, yellers or screamers, or this guy's a player's coach, or he's, you know, he's more of a hardline guy. Like to me, the failures are the guys who just aren't authentic. You know, you're like, you're screaming at me. This is such an act. Like I just, you know, we just talked. I'm thinking 10 minutes of names. Ago. I'm not going to name any, but I'm sure we probably have some of the same names populating um, our, our thoughts here. But that to me is the cardinal sin. Just be who you are. Is it harder to, to analyze coaches like because I feel like if I asked you that question about Justin Herbert even though we uh, I think are both on the same page like Justin Herbert's a great quarterback it's easy to go okay he's great these are the things that you need to get better at is does it feel a lot more intangible when you're talking about coaching I don't think it's hard for me you know from a coaching standpoint from out when you're outside of something to know everything that they're dealing with and what they're trying to accomplish. So that's why to me, it's hard to be kind of critical. I mean, look, you can say, okay, Mike McCarthy screwed up the, you know, timeouts at the end of the game or clock management. Like that's kind of the, uh, to use a Mayock, just kind of a low hanging fruit criticism that you can make, you know, on, on certain coaches, but in terms of how, how they manage their team and, and how they get their team ready to go. Um, I think that's hard to do, you know, from the outside, you, you don't I mean, even just from a health standpoint, knowing what, you know, teams or, you know, coaches are having to deal with in terms of trying to get guys to Sundays, uh, whether or not you're going to practice them that week or, or rest them that week. Like those are the types of decisions I think are huge, um, but we don't necessarily have all that information to levy a are, judgment. Are you suggesting they're not telling us everything there is to know about players' health and injury statuses? Well, I'm, I'm there's probably a, a good bit of that, but I also just think there's, you know what, he this player could probably practice today Right. Um, but we're going to manage him. Like that's the difference between the NFL and college. Like in the NFL, you were managing these guys, older guys over 17 games. Um, and you've got, you've got to get them to Sunday. I mean, that's literally, that's a line that I hear more than anything else around the league is we just got to get guys to Sunday. Um, so then it's knowing how much practice time do we need to stay crisp and stay sharp, um, versus, you know, Hey, we want to be fresh and healthy as we can be once we get to Sunday. That's the difference to me in college and the NFL. College guys, they we're practicing. Get get your stuff on. I don't. You're right. sore. Run through it. We'll be fine. And I don't the NFL, care about you. yeah. And the NFL, you got a 33 year old tackle. Yeah. Just get to Sunday, man. Just get to Sunday. Um, you mentioned clock management for coaches. 
can you help me to understand why a coach in Minnesota or New England or wherever would take a knee at the end of a half at this point in time and just concede downs rather than try something? I think we saw it in the Tennessee game last night, too. I think Vrabel um, just kind of ran out the clock at the end of the first half, too. I think they had just had an injury. Um, I think that was after Taylor Lewan had got hurt and maybe had another injury. Oh. And it almost just felt like he was like, let's just get, let's just this feels flush gross. this half. Let's just get out of here. And then we'll yeah. come back and figure it out. So that feels th- specifically circumstantial, though. Yes. Yes. Right? No, there's other ones where I think it's just, hey, um, we want to try and get this game and, you know, use a cliche, but try and drag this team into the deep water. So we're not going to, you know, we're, you know, we, we're comfortable with where the game is positioned right now. Wait, what does that mean? I haven't well, heard that one. Oh, drag a team it's into a the deep water? cliche that I don't even know? Oh, no. Have you seen like a boxing match? Like, hey, we just want to get this guy into the deep water. Once we get him out there, then then we'll see if they can last. Like, don't get knocked out by Mike Tyson in the first two rounds. Let's try and okay. let's try and get him into the later portions and see how he holds up at that point in time. Cause then the pressure switches once the longer you stay al- around with an opponent who's conceivably better than you, you so feel like, like pressure's ramping up on them. And yeah. They're treading water. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's, and yeah, it's easy to walk when you're in the, in the shallow water, but now we're going to get out in the deep water. Now you got to really, we're working here. You know, you got to really like work. I'm a five-year-old explain yeah, this to me. Yeah, exactly. Kidding. Exactly. But no, I think that, I think that to me is kind of a little bit of the underdog, you know, mentality a little bit of, okay, they, they might be better than us, but let's get them and in late into a game, you know, hypothetically like a, the Dodgers and the Braves per se, like we'll get them Stop late into a game. It. And then we figure that they will, you know, make a decision or How are the Padres doing we'll right now. Them. How are the Padres uh, doing? I don't How's know. I think, I, I think we're, we are pacing ourselves oh. um, for next year. We just want to, Oh, is it next year? Too much, too, too much, too soon. You know, we're trying to, <laughs> we're trying, we're, we're trying to just, we're trying to just rest up so that we can make a deep run in a non 60 game season championship kind of way, like a real authentic championship is what we're like chasing. This year. Like this year. Yeah. Well, that, okay. well, next year more so. This year felt yeah. too soon. Yeah. yeah. Like this one's the way, real. Can, okay. But we're just not ready yet. Like is it, we're just like, how bad would it feel to have spent like $90 million more than the Padres and then not, not even make it to the world series But that gosh, that would, that would be tough. I would imagine. Yeah. I can't believe that you feel comfortable talking this much trash from a the <laughs> position that your team is in. Well, you know, the one thing I do appreciate the Dodgers is that they employ great guys, you know, just, to, you know, a pitching staff. That what is, is wrong a wonderful, with you? A wonderful human being. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It's a little brother syndrome. OK, we have it. That's fine. I admit it. All right. All right. Everybody asked me my favorite team. I said, well, the Padres might now be my second favorite team. Whoever's playing the Dodgers is always going to be my first favorite team. And then <laughs> that's a good Padres. sign that your team's yeah. doing well. It's not when really. you just abandoned rooting for nothing, your there's team. Nothing, and nothing healthy about against it. The team. But what is the hat that you're wearing right now, by the way? This is a Seattle Kraken hat. Okay. That was, so, I was thinking it might be. So I haven't even seen him play a game and I feel bad, but one of my good buddies is their assistant GM there. So um, I was uh, supporting him and, uh, and he sent me some Seattle cracking gear. So I was, uh, was pretty fired up about it. Okay. How do you approach fandom from an NFL standpoint? Because obviously, and I believe wholeheartedly, because this is where I've come from for so long. Like you, you really are unbiased because you deal with so many people that you like that are spread out all over the league. It's not Mm -hmm. like, you know, but where, 
how do you approach it all? Like, cause you clearly are going to find yourself in situations where you're rooting. Is yeah. it because this team is doing things like the chargers for me right now? Like, mm-hmm. I love the way that this team is operating. It's just, I, I it's like appreciating a nice, you know, piece of art or something like that. Mm-hmm. How, how do you approach it? You know, it's, I, I can honestly say this, like as much, like all my fandom gets poured into the Padres is probably like the only like legitimate fandom, like literally emotions will change. Fandom is exhausting by the way. It, yeah, it really is. Well, not when you you're out of it after the first month of the baseball season, it's been, it's less over. So. Um, but um, no, like with the NFL, it's, it's all your friends. Like I have friends everywhere and we all work together. We've known each other for 20 years. So I want to see them, you know, do well. Um, so that's, that's something I keep an eye on. Like when, when the Chargers calling the Charger games, we have the one o'clock game. So the 10 o'clock games, I'll usually, you know, I've got, I'm keeping up with kind of, I've got Joe Douglas is one of my best friends, the GM of the Jets. So I want to watch their game and see how, you know, if they're, what they're doing. Andy Weidel and Howie Roseman, I'm close with, with the Eagles. So keep an eye on them, work with those guys, see what they're doing. I've got good buddies in Baltimore having worked there. So you just kind of like keeping up with, with those games as they're kind of going on, but I'm not really attached to, you know, winning or losing. I'm just, you know, one of, when I talk to those guys during the week, I want to be able to say, Hey, that was great. This guy did this, that, or the other, uh, keeping up with them that way. I mean, everybody knows I call the charger game. So right. I want to see them be competitive and, 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 and continue to grow and, and be a good football team. But at the end of the day, if they win or they lose, I got, I wake up at NFL network the next day and you got to go on there and talk about why it happened. So you don't get too married to the results. Why, why did it happen? That game oh. against the Ravens. Oh man. They, well, a couple of things. I wasn't surprised that Baltimore ran it as well as they did against them because they, they had that issue with the Cowboys. They had that issue with the Browns. They were out Justin Jones, a defensive tackle. You look at uh, Kenneth Murray, starting linebacker, Drew Tranquil, starting linebacker. So that, not the team you want to play when you're struggling against the run, you're missing both your starting linebackers and a starting DT. So that wasn't, I didn't, I expected that that could happen. I was very surprised that they did not do more offensively and you know, look, Justin would tell you he didn't have his best day. He missed some throws. Um, they curiously kind of went at Marlon Humphrey on some key third and fourth downs, who, I, in my opinion, is by far their best coverage option right now. Um, on the other side, I thought there were some other matchups, but for whatever reason, they didn't they didn't go there. Um, but they just never – I mean, the touchdown that they had was off of a turnover, you know, Kaiser White interception, which gave them a short field. Like, they just did not get anything going. Uh, in that game and just never found a rhythm. So that that was probably the big surprise to me. But in a 17-game season, mm-hmm. you're going to have a couple clunkers. Yeah, it feels like just about everybody has so far yeah. outside of mm, the Cardinals, I guess. Can can the Chargers win without Herbert being at his best every week? Or is that an unfair question? I mean, I guess you could say the same for a lot of teams who have really good quarterbacks, right? Like you need yeah. that high level quarterback play to be competitive in this league. Yeah. I mean, I look, they, they beat Washington when they were inconsistent, didn't score a ton of points and they should have beat the Cowboys. Lost the Cowboys 20 to 17, I think was the final in that game. And they had a, you know, a touchdown, two touchdowns, I think wiped out with, with penalties. Um, so that's a Cowboy team that we see put 40 points on just about everybody and the defense kept them in that game. And, um, so I think there is, I think they've got to figure out the run defense stuff though. Um, they've got the bye week right now to try and figure that out. And when you talk to them, you know, they say that it's, it's not really a defensive line, you know, or even the linebacker issue, it's all 11 kind of run fit issue. So 
they they are a light box team and they're not going to have a lot of guys down there but it is then incumbent on the guys in the secondary to be filling in the right gaps it's a collective run defense so um i think when you install that new scheme with that philosophy i guess it shouldn't be surprising that you know through 6 weeks they haven't quite got that together yet but i think the hope is they'll get there as they go through the year how much of the panthers have you watched i did not watch i have not watched their tape from the other day so i have not okay. seen that one yet well, I watched them I, earlier. I watched them, you know, Philadelphia and watched some of their, their earlier games. But, uh, um, you know, defensively, they were fun to watch. They were just flying around uh, really, really young, really, really fast. It feels like things changed pretty dramatically for them offensively. And this is going to be breaking news and shocking to everybody. But when Christian McCaffrey left, yeah, um, yeah. but not just because you're lifting him out, it feels like it changed things for Darnold. His stats mm-hmm. in those first three games versus the last three games are dramatically different. Mm-hmm. What have you seen from him acknowledging you haven't seen this last week, but yeah. the last couple of weeks prior to this were sort of, you know, the same. Yeah. I'm going to break this one to you. He looked the same. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he's, he's struggling. He's throwing those interceptions that we saw um, back in New York. We're not seeing the rushing touchdowns like we saw in the first few weeks. He mm. just, it looks like things are different. And I've, I've long kind of maintained, I guess, even in New York that I didn't know who he was as a quarterback because yeah. he had, he's clearly he had no help. Well, yeah. And he's clearly a quarterback. And I think that there are a lot of quarterbacks like this in the league who can have success that need things to be okay around him, you mm. know? Um, and then we saw out of the gate, like when things were okay around him, he yeah. was the best version of himself. Now you lift Christian McCaffrey out. How do you think that changes things for Sam Darnold specifically? Well, I think they had, and I, 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 again, I haven't watched tape yet. I just looking through the numbers. I think they had a bunch of drops last week, if I'm not mistaken. So many. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that, that changes things a little bit from that perspective. No, not great. Is that ever on a quarterback? Cause I always wonder that too, because you, you, it looks like, okay, it hits the hands, but you talk, you hear receivers talk about, you know, like different quarterbacks throwing the ball in such a way that yeah. I, don't, I don't know is yeah I mean look there's there's a difference between there's a difference between uh ball placement and you know completion percentage I mean you can look at that and say okay well if I've got a guy in a, in a defender in a trail position and the ball's on his back hip so it ends up being a 15 yard catch and tackle versus being an 80 yard touchdown if he puts it on the upfield shoulder um you know Kurt Kurt Warner is kind of the greatest example of that, just pinpoint ball placement. Then there's not throwing guys into headaches, you know, when you're coming into the middle of the field, being able to, you know, steer the ball and steer him away from trouble. Um, that's what the big time, big time guys can do. With, what about with, touch? Yeah, no, in touch, being able to layer the ball. Like there's a there's a ball in in the Chargers game the other day um, where I'm trying to remember, I think it might have been, maybe it was uh, Cook coming across on a crosser, but it was 10 to 15 yard throw and Herbert had so much juice on that ball. Like there's, he needs to take a little bit off, take, you know, pull that back a little bit, which he's done before, but just on that particular throw, he hadn't, but that, that is a major factor throwing a nice catchable ball. I always say it's the the velocity that's required for each throw. So, you know, not every throw is going to require everything you've got. It's just what, you know, what does it require from you? Um, so with Sam though, I mean, when you take McCaffrey out, McCaffrey, depending on what you do with him, whether you put him out in the formation or whether he's in the backfield, He's going to simplify things for you because, you know, you know, the number of defensive looks you're going to get is going to shrink because they're going to have to deal with him when you don't have to worry about that. We can get as exotic and we can muddy the picture as much as possible for your quarterback. And I think Sam 
and his history has kind of struggled with that. The Patriots, you know, are a great example of a team that, you know, they can muddy the picture for him and make him not not see ghosts. But you know, you can you can just make the look change pre snap, post snap. You have underneath floating defenders that can get underneath throws. That's been Sam's kind of bugaboo is not feeling or seeing those guys. So when you have Christian McCaffrey, that draws that attention, that simplifies the looks, that clears the picture. Um, and then also I think it helps provide you opportunities to go run the football too, if you want to do that. So I, I think that's a huge factor for them, but you, you mentioned quarterbacks having everything in place. Have you heard, uh, what we do on, on our pod, where we talk about trucks and trailers. Have you heard us explain that? Yes. yes I love it. That, that mm-hmm. That's it. There's certain quarterbacks that are trucks. They can pull the team uh, and get to the finish line. Then there's other quarterbacks that are trailers. You can still get to the finish line, but they're going to be pulled by the team. And I think you can really look across the league and you can, you can identify who the trucks are pretty quick. Which new quarterbacks are trucks? Um, that's a great question. I think there's, uh, the hope that some of them will be trucks. I don't, I mean, of the rookie quarterbacks, I don't think any of them are trucks at this point in time. We can right. say, I think Lawrence is very quickly going to be a truck. Who's going to so? make everybody around him better. He did some, when crazy- he has a new coach, well, I think that's, you know, TBD, but I would say that's not going to be a big surprise, at least from a play calling standpoint. Maybe it's the head coach. Who knows? But I would imagine they won't wait too long before they try and get somebody that can really feature him. He made five or six throws in that game were ridiculous. So he'll be a truck very soon. Um, and I think there's other guys that have that potential. I think Mac is going to be a really good trailer. I, yeah. I think when you can get, they don't have a ton of around him skill position wise, but if they can get some speed at receiver, um, you know, they, they got the two tight ends, but just getting more speed receiver, just being a little more dynamic. He is so accurate and so consistent. I think he'll be able to give those guys a chance to make things happen with the ball in their hands. But in terms of extending plays, big time power throws, like the complete quarterback picture that we see with some of these other young guys, he's not going to be that, but man, they can win a lot of games when they put the right pieces around him. Let me ask you this. Should you extend a trailer? Like, should you, considering how much money it's a Baker, it's, a Baker, it's the Baker Mayfield question. Right. Yeah. I, I would be very leery. I mean, the Cleveland thing, having been there, that one is unique because they had been in the Valley for so long trying yes. to find that quarterback. And so they've, they've been searching just for competent and he is more than competent. Totally. So that's a dilemma. He's okay. He's that. But in the meantime, they've built up the rest of this roster. In my opinion, I think it's the best roster in the NFL. I know what their record is, but I think the roster is loaded when they're healthy. Totally. So you're not a quarterback-driven team. You're not a quarterback-dependent team. How do you pay the quarterback that much money, which is going to lessen the rest of the supporting cast when you don't play that way? So I would have a very hard time shelling out top dollar um, on Baker just for that reason. But the, the challenge is there's a, I'm sure in the city, there's some angst and fear of like, oh my gosh, we cannot go through 20 more years of trying to find a competent quarterback. Well, except this year in the way that this year is going, yeah. push people in that direction. Yeah. And he's played, he's played good. He's played well. That's what he is. He's a, he is again, like high end trailer. He's a really good player when he's surrounded by great talent. They're going to, they can win at a high clip. Um, but he's not going to be able to elevate everybody else. And that count, that's usually kind of in those key situations. We've seen that, you know, have some opportunities this year and couldn't quite do that. Um, so that's the fascinating thing about the AFC is that you look for the next 10, 15 years, 
Patrick Mahomes is not going anywhere. Josh Allen's not going anywhere. Lamar Jackson's not going anywhere. Justin Herbert's not going anywhere. Those are elite trucks. Um, so you're bringing a trailer to that conversation. You can compete, but you better have everybody else loaded up on that roster. And if you pay that quarterback, now you don't have that opportunity. Now you're in real trouble. Okay. So if somebody has a trailer and they're looking for a truck this year in the draft, throw some names out. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a lot more to do on the quarterbacks. I've been working on the defensive guys. I did a bunch of them over the summer and I've watched a little bit early this year. I haven't seen anybody that just gets me super fired up. You've got Matt Corral, Old Miss playing for Lane. Who's a good player. He's intriguing. Malik Willis at Liberty's is a, is a, really interesting guy who's real just strong powerful can really move around his last couple games hadn't played very well based off the the stats i'll have to watch the tape but i have i have not seen what we saw last year where you could be so fired up about kind of some some big time big time dudes i don't know if that's the case this year and you go into next year we did it on our podcast today Lindsay. there's like 10 to 12 teams that could be in the quarterback market next year in a draft that's not super deep uh at least early, early look at it like new quarterbacks. And that could be like Daniel Jones yeah. with the giants. They could move on. I mean, go right. through the whole laundry list of them. Um, but there were that many teams they, last year. I don't know where they're going to come from. I don't know where these quarterbacks, like it, God bless Mitchell Trubisky. He's going to, you watch people are going to be shocked at how much money he gets because there's not, there's going to be two B a what he's going to be a starter next year. Trubisky will get, there's too many openings. There's not enough quarterbacks to go around. People have seen the Chicago offense that they don't necessarily love. They've seen it without him, and they've seen the struggles that still exist and saying, okay, maybe this wasn't Trubisky's fault. He actually did play pretty well there for a minute. We saw him in the preseason this year, minimal sample size, simple defenses. He looked great. He moved, he threw the ball really well in a system that fits him, and I tell somebody will talk themselves into it. You watch. He, you, you text me after free agency next year, and you go, you, you're right. Mitchell Trubisky got a lot more money than I thought he was going to get. Who's going to get a lot of money to coach my USC Trojans? Oh, man. I mean, everything I hear just is, keeps saying James Franklin. Um, I don't know who else, you know, who else it would be. I like, I like Franklin. I think he's done a good job. They're like a perennial top 10 team. Um, and he's kind of always Penn State's. If it comes down for the most part to Penn State and Ohio State, Ohio State's going to win more than they lose. If you can get USC going, you will not lose. There's nobody in the Pac-12 that's going to beat you in those battles if USC is right. You've seen it. We've both seen it. When they're good and when they're rolling, if you have that, you're going to get those kids. Um, I so love I, just I like all the ways fit. that that's hurting people's feelings right now. Just that yeah. statement. Just that complete and total dismissal <laughs> of everyone else in the Pac-12. Like no. Oregon, yeah. if USC is... No, you, Oregon, Oregon's rolling right thing. now. But you try and tell me that the kids at modern day that their parents can come to every single game at the Coliseum and it's going to be packed and it's going to be what it was. Yep. And Oregon is, they've made a nice run as, as nice a job as they've done under chip. And, and we've seen it now under Cristobal, like they're not, they're not winning national championships like that. They're where they've gotten to the height of where they've gotten. They, when USC is at the height of where they are, they're winning 37 games in a row or whatever they did. Like that's a, they can, the ceiling is higher there if they get the right guy. What about but, the enemy? Could Bienemy be the right guy? The one thing I don't know about Bienemy is just the recruiting, you know, portion of it. I know he's obviously coached in college. He was at Colorado. They didn't have a lot of success there. I think just the offense Mahomes would be great. on the phone. Yeah, see if that'll help. Just get Mahomes yeah. out there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that would be my only thing is college is so much Jimmys and Joes over X's and O's. Like you got to get somebody that's just passionate about recruiting and is really, really good at it. Um, the other thing I was thinking of with the transfer portal, can you imagine like 
if you get the right coach into USC, you would think that a lot of these kids who all know each other that have scattered all over the country to play for all these other teams would say, hey, you know what? They've got the right coach. We could transfer, be immediately eligible. And then you could get maybe five or 10 key guys and you could jumpstart it pretty quick because you're not just relying on, you know, 18 year old freshmen. You could bring in proven, proven guys. From your lips, DJ. Yeah. Which means that, which means they'll hire somebody that we're not thinking of and it, you know, totally. It has out. none of that effect yeah, no. <laughs> at all. They haven't um, been able to, they had just haven't been able to figure it all out. Let's not end on that note. Let's end on the okay. pep talk note. Like I was yeah. feeling really fired up yeah. and optimistic about my alma mater's future. It was so fun. It was so fun. And like, I talk about the, like, I'm legitimately, as you know, I'm like a legitimately USC fan grew up watching USC and we joke about it all the time, but in scouting, like I was, I was at all those games you were, during that era during, it was so much fun. Did and you, do you I, think we met each other back then and didn't know that we were meeting each I'm other? Sh- I guarantee you we were, we were in the same press boxes at the same time, maybe like saw each other in passing. Um, but yeah, we had to have been, cause it was all those, all those great games. I remember like Ohio State coming there, USC beat the tar out of them. Arkansas came in with yeah. McFadden and Felix Jones. They put 70 on them. Like it was insane how good those teams were. Oh, can I ask my biggest lingering question that this sure. is my biggest miss in my entire like sports covering career? What happened to Mike Williams? Why was Mike Williams not a good NFL wide receiver? Because that is the one person that I have watched that I would have banged the table and said, absolutely 100%. I put everything I have on that guy right there. He's going to kill it. And he didn't kill it. And I can't figure out why. He's too big and too slow. And I gave him a good grade, but he got up to like 260 something pounds, like as a wide receiver. So he couldn't run. He wasn't fast. He wasn't fast to begin with. Is that like an undisciplined thing? I think I'm sure I don't think you get that big, you know, at that okay. at that time without having some some issue there. But he he just he just, you know, kind of big brother, everybody they played against in college. He was just too big and too strong. It was one handed catches and all that stuff. 50 50 wins. But if you don't have the quickness to be able to get off the line of scrimmage, um, that's in the NFL. It's just a different it's just a different game. So his to me was just he didn't have enough juice, didn't have enough speed. And then he got too heavy. So um, that's kind of what kind of what did him in. OK, again, sad I thought you were going to ask me about so Reggie. Quick. I thought you were going to ask me about Reggie because that's the I in in scouting. There's a perfect grade that you can give somebody, which some scouts will scout for 40 years and never, never give one. It was an eight Oh is the grade and the scale of the teams I worked with. So I gave out one eight Oh in my eight years in scouting and I gave it to Reggie. And then I realized after that, I'm never giving an eight Oh, never giving an eight Oh ever again, because there's no such thing as a perfect player, but he was so mesmerizing and so elite. I thought like, this is going to be like, this is my chance to scout like Barry Sanders. Like this must've been what it felt like when guys were scouting Barry Sanders. He's just, he looks like he operates at a different quickness and speed than everybody else that they played against. He was so fun to watch uh, there. And I also think if Reggie doesn't have the knees, like doesn't have the injuries and stays healthy for his full career, he's had a good career. Um, yeah. It wasn't worth that grade. He had a good career, but I always wonder if he, maybe if he had stayed healthy all the way through, he could have been, you know, maybe a little bit closer to what we thought he was going to be. Okay. All this sadness, Tana, we were, we were like, really riding high a few seconds ago and now we're you had james franklin you had transfers coming yes. in like the whole yes. thing was working yeah every modern day we've got them all yeah touched um, all the rollo's sending his guys to us again <laughs> it's the glory days let's end on that note okay that works dj i really appreciate this either. thanks go braves
Daniel Jeremiah, NFL draft analyst, Chargers color commentator, and very sad baseball troll. It's what he's resorted to. It's it's just sad. Anyway, you can follow him on Twitter at Move the Sticks. Listen to his pod with Bucky Brooks of the same name, Move the Sticks. Now a TV show on NFL Network on Mondays, um, which is a brilliant decision by the network because they're great and also like very inexpensive programming. Anyway, he's one of my favorite guys. Also getting some work in for Amazon these days. I thought that that was going to be a little bit more Charger-centric, our conversation, than it turned out to be. So I hope you don't feel misled. Um, But I really enjoyed where it went. And I hope that you enjoyed it also. If you did and you want to hear more episodes of this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. You can also subscribe. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Pandora, wherever you get your podcasts. The NFL Roadshow is also available on the SXM app free for most subscribers. Just download it today and tap podcasts. And for video clips of the show and more, please follow me on Twitter. I'm saying please a lot. I'm so polite. Um, my Twitter handle is Lindsay underscore Rhodes. My Instagram handle is Lindsay Rhodes NFL. The NFL Roadshow is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Andrew Emmer. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM's senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen, also. And we will be back on Friday with a look ahead at the week, week seven? It's week seven from a fantasy perspective. Uh, Favorite matchup plays and low-end plays. And oh my gosh, you guys. We're going to be looking for them this week because it is bi-week grossness. Six teams are out, and they are really big fantasy teams. So uh, if you're anything like me, you had to put a lot of people that are in your starting lineups onto your bench, and I had to like scour the waiver wire for running back options in particular, and it's gross. So on Friday, we'll have some names for you if you still find yourself in that position. So we'll see you then. I hope. Thanks for listening. Serious XM Podcasts.